Welcome to Beautifully Bloomed, the podcast where we explore how to break you out of the box of rules and beliefs that are holding you back from the life you are meant to live. I'm your host, Rebecca Turville. Join me as I share mindset tools, coaching conversations, and human design to help you uncover your unique gifts and create the life, relationships, and business you desire. So welcome, Sarah. So fun to have you on my podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So first of all, I like to let people know how we met. So I know we're both life coach school coaches, but then what? Like you might've found out about something and. Yeah. Well, I'd been into human design just on my own for a little while. And then I saw a post in the coaching posse where you were mentioned as someone um, who worked with people with a human design. And I was just fascinated. So yeah, I, I signed up for some session and did some work with you and yeah. Well, I'm re- trying to remember now. I didn't look up your design. So what are you again? Do you remember? Manifesting generator. Oh, just like me. <laughs> Do you remember your numbers? You know, like those personality numbers? You know, I don't. I mean, I I, I could easily look them up. I think I have them right here. But yeah. um, no, I was curious because I, I should have looked it up before we got on the call. But sometimes um, there's just interesting things you can find out about people, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> of their personality profile. Yeah, I think here, I, I, I just because I was curious, I looked at it and it looks like my numbers are four and six, my profile. Mm, yeah, four, six, and I'm a one, four. So we okay. have the four in common. Okay. Perfect. So you're a people person. <laughs> you know, four is like people, right? So yes. like to build community and yes, hang out with others. Yes. So awesome. So, so I guess the reason we're talking today is because, oh, the other thing I noticed, I joined a Facebook group called Waka, women of a certain age, women of a certain age, and you were in the group. And I'm like, oh, there's that Sarah again. (laughs) It's funny how you see people in different places, right? Yes. And then I was like, hey, Sarah, we were supposed to have a podcast conversation. So here you are. (laughs) So yeah. So and the reason you're in the group is for maybe similar reason I'm curious is because, you know, we have stories of having faith transitions or journeys through our faith and switching to something else. So I think that's where I want to start. I mean, just tell us, like, were you born into a certain religion? Let's just start there. Yeah, I, I was I was raised born and raised Mormon. And uh, the, the official name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, but a lot of people just refer to us by the nickname the Mormons. And it was really my whole life growing up. Um, we lived in a small town in California. We didn't have family close. And so really the, our family were the people we went to church with. Yeah. So it, what I understand from Mormonism is there's like wards and everybody, like everybody helps each other in the ward. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible, um, it, it really is an incredibly cohesive community so we're divided geographically into congregations, which are called wards. And then um, there are a number of wards that make up kind of a larger congregation called a stake. And um, everywhere you go, there's Mormon wards and Mormon stakes. And so I've lived all over the world and everywhere I go, I would just find my Mormon congregation. And it was like this instant community, this instant home. And, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful part of Mormonism. 
Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, but our church did not have them all over the world, for sure not. But but yeah, it's nice to be able to know that when you go somewhere, you'll find people with similar values. They understand how you grew up. You know, they even there's probably family connections. You can always trace somebody to somebody. I mean, the same thing, right, for me. So yeah, I, I kind of get that. And always knowing that um, there's kids to hang out with that, you know, believe the same thing or sort of maybe believe the same, or yeah. at least they go to the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to the same it's, church. You, you instantly have, you know, things in common with people no matter where you live. Yeah, yeah. And they they follow some of the same traditions or probably do follow, right? And so it yeah. makes you feel like you're not so left out, like at school or whatever, when you're a kid, oh, yeah. right? It's, it's an instant <laughs> You have, you know, you have a church congregation, you have a women's organization, you have a children's organization, you have a men's organization. There's something for everyone. Yeah. And so as a kid, did you pretty much just be like, yep, this is, you know, this is the way that it is. And I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, my my family, um, my family was very devout. Yeah. Uh, We attended all the meetings and did all the things. And, and one of the things that Mormonism does really well is, they just kind of lay out a path for you with different milestones that are celebrated by the community. And, and when you're eight, you get baptized. And when you're 12, the boys receive what's called the priesthood and the girls go into the young women's organization. And so, yeah, they're just very good at at kind of laying out this path that you can just like follow. You can just get on and follow it. And, and it really, for me in particular, it really worked well for some of my siblings, not quite so much. My, one of my sisters in particular, but I was just, I was a good girl. I wanted to be a good girl. I was, I'm the oldest. I, Oh yeah. um, That'll help you want to be the good girl. I'm the oldest also. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only was I the oldest, but I think my parents just really let me just say that any comment I make about my, my parents, I don't know that they'll ever listen to this episode, but I've told them explicitly, like, I don't, I don't think they were trying to do anything to hurt me or, or, you know, disadvantage me in any way. It's just the way they grew up. And so a lot of the way they spoke to me was like, you're the example, you're the one who sets, you know, the tone in our family about obedience and, and doing what you're asked to do and being reliable and responsible. And so there was a lot of pressure, I guess, just a lot of talking with me about the example that I was setting for my, my siblings. Yeah. So you went to high school and then did you go to BYU? I did. Yeah. Really? Cause that is the path, right? That is, yeah, like that's that's yeah. the path. Yeah. And, and it actually, it was an amazing time for me. I, Growing up in Central California, I didn't have a lot of, there weren't a lot of other Mormons who were my age, who I could like really form close friendships with. In my high school, I was the only Mormon my age in my grade, and there were a couple scattered, but most of my other Mormon friends lived 30, 40 minutes away. So when I went to BYU to just be surrounded by Mormons, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. It, it was an amazing experience for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, did you meet your husband? I did. I did. We, we were introduced by, um, by a friend, but yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, you're on the path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's, yes. It all worked. Right. Until, so then I'm curious. So you're going along and 
when did you start like having any kind of doubts or, or just feelings that maybe this wasn't what you wanted to do? You know, it's, it's really interesting because it, I, it happened very slowly for me over a lot of years. When we, mm. when my husband and I were getting married, his brother came out okay. and told yeah. us he was gay. Yeah. And at the time we had a very Mormon reaction to it. Basically, I think we said something along the lines of, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. you know, Craig, we love you, but this is wrong and we can't support it. And if you ever got married, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't attend your wedding. And um, I mean, I, I, as I say those things now, I get this like sadness that that's what I did. Yeah. And I have to be really gentle with myself um, right? because I feel completely differently now. But I imagine like what it would have been like for him to hear those words from us. And I said, it still makes me sad. And he's been nothing but gracious and wonderful to us over the years. Um, And it really was his patience and understanding that allowed me to stay curious because if he had been mad or angry, then I think I would have felt really justified in, you know, um, keeping the commandments and telling him what I thought, but he was just so gracious and so generous. And so we continued to have a relationship and we continued to talk and we had several conversations where, so back then the, the LDS church taught that being gay was a choice, that it was something that, that people who were gay were choosing and that they could unchoose it. Right. What, could, and what decade or what, what are you talking about? Like the 19, the nineties. Oh, the nineties. Okay. The nineties. Yes. So getting got, a picture. Yes. Okay. Good. That's, that's, I'm glad you said, cause, cause they're, they teach something different today, actually. Um, and I'll, and I'll clarify that. But so we got married in 1997, um, sorry, 1999. <laughs> My husband would laugh if he heard that. Cause I'm always getting our, our anniversary wrong. Um, so in 1999 is when we got married. So uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands, that was the teaching of the church. And, and I just remember thinking, I I don't think Craig is choosing this. Like this doesn't actually make sense to me because he's in a lot of pain. Like what Mormon would choose this? And I think that thought just, I, I always say that my brain is like a crock pot, you know, you'll get your dinner in seven hours. And I think I just kind of marinated on that idea or or let it kind of marinate in my mind. Like, I don't think he's choosing this like that doesn't make sense. And so Craig was clear on where we stood at the time. And he just said, you know, do you want to have a relationship? I, I, I know that you don't agree with my lifestyle choices, but I still want to have a relationship with you. Do you want to have a relationship? And so that's, that's what we did. We would visit each other. We would, um, and, and, a couple of times he would bring boyfriends and I just remember kind of studying and watching and thinking, I just, this doesn't make sense to me. This doesn't make sense. And so in that period of time, I remember just sitting, I remember sitting exactly where I was in a leather chair, the window behind me at a home we used to own. And I was just thinking about like, if he didn't choose this, the only other option is that he was created this way. And if he's created, if, if he's created this way, 
God must have had a hand in that. And if God had a hand in it, he must be okay with it. And I remember just like (laughs) this explosion, it felt like in my brain of like, this is what makes sense to me. This feels like true to me. And how instantaneously I was um, like almost excited and, and felt some freedom around that idea, but I was also terrified because that was very definitely against the teachings of my church at the time. Yeah, totally. And so I think that was the beginning of it. Just allowing, I I told my, I told my husband, I said, I I have, what did I call it? Either a personal heresy or a private hair, a private heresy. I said, I have a private heresy. He's like, "Uh Oh, what is this? (laughs) I said, I don't think people choose to be gay. I think they're created that way. And I think God is okay with it. And I think we're the ones who are wrong. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the, you know, the gay LGBTQ issues are sort of not our problem until we know a close family member that's gay, right? It's so, because, you know, I've had this experience too. And it's like, oh yeah, you don't really think that deeply about it. It's just somebody, you know, oh, whatever, you know. Yeah. But then when you have a close family member, it like brings it right into your life. And now you're like, okay, what do we really believe about this? <laughs> you know, yeah. this is somebody we love. Yeah. So what do we do next? Right. Yeah, I totally get that. So that was like the beginnings. And then, I mean, it was just like over time. I mean, how do you like, so you would go to church and they would preach that. And then you would have this cognitive dissonance going yes. on. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's uncomfortable, right? Does it feel? It was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. I also felt like I wanted almost to like rise to the occasion and to be someone who would share my openness to it. I mean, I was scared. I was scared because one of the things that does happen, even in the present day LDS church, is that you can be disciplined in various ways for espousing and sharing ideas that are different from what the church teaches. And I knew that that was possible, but I also thought that I could do it in such a way that I wouldn't be disciplined. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, in the Mormon church, there are no paid clergy, no, no paid um, people to administer the different programs. It's all done by volunteer. And so I had, I was in several positions um, over the young women's organization or over the women's organization. And I would just in my lessons or in, you know, the times when I would be teaching in these organizations, I would try to just slip in, you know, some, some ideas for people to consider. Cause I really believed everybody will feel this. Like when they have the experience that I've had, everybody will, will understand that this is really the right way to do it. And that maybe that idea will kind of spread grassroots style and then make its way up to the top. And, and it didn't work that way. (laughs) I surprise, surprise. (laughs) Yeah, I was disciplined. Um, I, I was, I was taken out of a, a leadership position um, and I was kind of relegated to non-teaching or non-speaking positions. And, you know, in fairness, I cannot be sure that that nobody told me 
listen, because mm-hmm. you're talking about God loving gay people, we can't have that. And so we're going to stick you over here in the family history library, right? Where, <laughs> where, where you can't do any damage. Everybody's already dead. Um, nobody said that to me. And it's, I just mean, a, you weren't told though, what the reason was like, um, I was told that complaints had been made about okay. one particular lesson that I gave was, um, we're talking about the good Samaritan, the parables of Jesus and the good Samaritan. And, and uh, I asked the question, you know, if, if the way that we learn from these parables is by thinking about our day to day, you know, it's not just a nice story from when Jesus was alive, like, what can we learn from the story? Who is this broken, dying, bruised person, you know, who needs our care? And um, so it was actually someone in the congregation who said, what about LGBT people? But I opened it up for a discussion about how they did need our love. They did need our support. They did need our, and that I didn't believe that it was a choice that they were making. There was just too much pain. It was too much, you know? Yeah. And and that was, that was it. That was it. (laughs) Wow. So then how many years did you live with this cognitive dissonance thing and kind of, you know, being there, but not fully? Well, it, it was almost like I was turning down the volume on the Mormon church in my life. And I was turning up the volume on my own knowing and my own searching. Um, and so it was very gradual. And for a long time, I really was committed to this idea that um, I, I'm still going to go. I still believe in the organization as doing good and, and good in the world and valuable and important. And then my husband actually got involved reading about um, Mormon history. And I had never really had a lot of exposure to it. It's something that um, for a lot of reasons, isn't, you know, made readily available. There's a lot of stories and inconsistencies and things that we were taught were one way and they're actually another way. And he was really um, kind of going down that rabbit hole. And it was very scary for me because I felt like I could hold that cognitive dissonance. I felt like I could hold it and live with it. But then when he started his exit from the church, we had to, we had to renegotiate a lot of things. And, and I was still going to be active in the religion. I had still decided to participate. The historical things, they bothered me, but they didn't rise to the level of what I thought it would take to officially leave. And so um, I, I mean, it was probably a good almost decade of continuing to go, continuing to hold cognitive dissonance about LGBT people and watching my husband leave and, and, and his, his faith change as well. And so the next really significant event happened in 2016 when the LDS church revised their policy about how gay people were going to be treated in terms of their children being allowed to be baptized and participate in different, you know, these life markers that we talked about that kind of get laid out. The church decided to um, categorize LGBTQ people as apostates, which Mm, that's a dirty word, right? (laughs) It's inside a religious community. Yeah, it is. It might not sound like that. Maybe if you're not inside a religious community, but it was essentially a designation of um, exclusion. Yeah. And that they were not to be included at the same level and the same ways their children could not be baptized. 
without mm-hmm. special permission. Their older children could not go on missions unless they disavowed their parents, their, the gay parent. Mm-hmm. And my sister called me and I, I'd had some health troubles for a while. And I had been in bed for a couple of weeks with some really bad migraines. And so she called me and she said, you'll never believe what happened. And even in my like muddled, addled state, I was like, Emily, this is a joke. This yeah. has got to, this is not true. I'm going to get to the bottom of this and I'm going to call you back. So I was in a lot of pain, but I got out of bed and I went to my computer and I started searching. And when I found out that it was true, it just, it broke me. It broke my heart. Yeah. Because by that point, we had enough friends inside the Mormon church who were LGBTQ and trying to make it work, trying to find a way. And this just, this policy just felt cruel and mean and pointless and completely at odds with the way that I was taught that Jesus would love and welcome and include people. Yeah. I always think that, well, if Jesus was about love, I don't understand a lot of the things that Christians say and do. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't get it. Right. It's hard. It's difficult to, to rectify, rectify. I don't know if that's the word, but to, to reconcile, I guess, those things in your head about how you treat people and Jesus is love. I don't get like, how do you put it together? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how I, I just really felt for the first time, like I did not recognize the church I belonged to. It just didn't seem like the church that I, that I had been taught to believe in. And how long had your husband, had he already been out for a while already? He was already mostly out. He would still attend um, every once in a while. He enjoyed participating in the young men's organization. He enjoyed hanging out with my two older, we have two twin boys who at that time were like 16-ish, maybe 15, 16. And so um, he enjoyed participating with them. And he just felt like as long as there's a way for me to participate, and I still feel like I'm in integrity, I'm going to go do that. But then it just got harder and harder and harder. And so eventually he stopped going altogether. And then what really did it was in 2018, our daughter came out. And was she like in school or how old was she? She she was 16 and she was in in high school and she just Mm -hmm. came in and sat down at the kitchen table. I was already sitting there and we had, we had homeschooled for a number of years, but she at this point had decided to go back to school. And so she, uh, she sat down at the kitchen table and she says, mom, I want to tell you about my crush. And I said, Oh, who is he? (laughs) And she said her. Oh Yeah. And I mean, thankfully I had, I've taught kindergarten. I, I, I know what it is to like keep the poker face when kindergartners are, are, you know, misbehaving. And, and so my face continued to smile as I said, tell me about her. And my mm-hmm. insides were like, Wah! you know, cause yes. it, it was, it was completely unexpected, completely out of left field in terms of information that I thought was probable or possible. In my heart at that moment, I just thought, all right, the the countdown has started. Yeah, because now you're trying to figure out, well, how does it work when my child is going to be treated that way? It's yeah. And yeah, I have a I have a dear friend. Her name is Wendy um, Montgomery, and she started an organization called Mama Dragons. Oh, yes. I've heard of this organization. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And and early in in our my us living 
here in Arizona and I'm meeting her, I, I told her, I said, Wendy, I, I struggle with going to church because one of the things I believe is that there are no such thing as other people's children. Like we are all connected. And so I, I, I struggle with going to this church when I know I hear what's being said and I see the effect of it. And she said, as long as you can go, there are kids there who need you. There are kids there who need to know that there are adults who are looking out for them. And so for a long time, that's that's what motivated me. And then once it was our daughter and I began to clearly just see what she was being taught about herself, it just, it was time to go. Well, yeah, it's like, you don't want your children to be treated them as less than. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're like a step down or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you, did you formally, like, how, how did you tell your family or like, you know, that hard stuff? Oh yeah. 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 All of that. All that hard stuff. Well, we had the the pandemic started. And so I was, we we were kind of, yes, (laughs) perfect. Exactly. (laughs) We were, we were kind of dying on the vine is what I, Mm -hmm. is what I said. And I had a, a dear friend who said, actually, when fruit is ripe, it lets go of the vine. It doesn't need the vine yeah. anymore. And so she just said, you know, you were ripe. You and so the pandemic started and church was just gone overnight. And it was such a huge, huge, huge relief. I I was very surprised at how relieved I felt to just not have to go and make myself yeah. go and kind of sit there and do all the, you know, mental gymnastics. gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to feel good yeah. about it. And and so I actually made the choice at that point to hire a coach to help me make sense of, I mean, I had a lot of anger and, and really just a lot of grief. Yeah. And so it's hard through 20 through 2020 and 2021. I worked with her for two years. Um, Her name is Krista St. Germain. She's an amazing coach. She, There's a lot of work with, with actually widowed moms who experience grief. And she did me just a beautiful favor by taking me on as a client. Cause I'm not a widowed mom, but I, I told her, I said, I think this is grief. I didn't it is, yeah. really have a lot of experience feeling my feelings, but there were just a lot of things going on at the same time that were her, her coaching and guidance just made a huge difference. And I, I got to the point where I just decided, listen, I am on nobody's timeline. I don't have to I don't have to decide anything today or tomorrow. I just gave myself lots and lots of time. And because I was so generous with myself, one day I just woke up and thought, I think I'm going to tell my friends where I am with this. I had a very tight knit homeschooling community, about 12 families that we just, we were all LDS, our kids all loved and knew each other and had a very tight friend group. And we did a lot of activities together and I told them where I was with, with my thinking about the church. And it really was helpful to me because as I wrote it out, I realized like, I'm not having a faith crisis. This is a religious institution crisis. My faith is fine. My faith right. feels vibrant and real. And, and like, I can take that with me wherever I go. Yeah. But I just... I have a problem with the religious institution and how that the institution is acting. And so once I told them, it just kind of felt like, well, now I can tell anybody I can tell my, I had, 
I had actually been um, as the oldest, you might identify with this as well. Um, Several of my siblings had been going through religious institution crises or faith crises. And I had been the one to kind of mediate and negotiate because my parents are still very, very orthodox, very active. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had already had some practice like smoothing things, smoothing relationships over in our family and trying to help people stay connected because that was very important to me. It's it's not uncommon in Mormon families when uh, this is unfortunate, but when a child leaves or when somebody leaves, it changes mm-hmm. the relationship sometimes to the point where they just they lose contact. They they cut each yeah. other off or they divorce or they and and I didn't want that to happen. Yeah, that's really sad. But that does happen in other churches too. Yeah. I would say yeah. like it does, and it just depends on. I think it just depends on the perspective of the other, like, I've thought about this a lot. Well, they're super worried that, you know, you're going to go to hell now or something like they think that by cutting you off, they're going to like make you come back or, you know, they, they have your best interest at heart, you know, and it's sad, right? It's really sad. So you didn't, but how is it with your parents now? You still have a good relationship and. We actually do. And I I credit that with a lot of that to them. They have remained open, even when it was painful for them. Like I, I know exactly what they think, right. is going to happen to me. They think that I am going to be going to be excluded from like being with them for eternity. And that is a very painful thought, but they have remained remarkably open to understanding, even if they don't agree and also i have developed remarkably also in my yeah. ability to say what i need to say and to say it in a way that is direct but not mean that is clear and kind and um there were some real tests of that in the beginning they were i think a little less than gracious when my daughter came out and yeah that's hard yeah it was hard it was devastating for her but it awoke maybe that mama dragon in me where I went over and I sat down and I went through what happened. And I just said, I just need you to know that what's going to happen if you cannot accept and learn to either don't say anything at all or, or say something positive, then you'll, we just will stop inviting you to family things because that's this type of behavior is a no. And they were very understanding. They recognized that it was not what they wanted to be doing. And so I think it was bumpy momentarily, but also it was really bumpy when Craig told me. And so I had to remember mm-hmm. like are their learning and what matters more to me is their willingness to be open and to continue to develop a relationship the same way I was with Craig that mattered more. And so even though it in the beginning, it was a little bumpy. I was clear about where I stood and what the kind of behavior that we would allow in our home and around our kids. And they were very open to that as well. So I, it really could not have gone better. <laughs> awesome. Um, yes. I mean, really, right? Yeah. So it's, it's so nice to hear stories like this of people who've come through all the things and are now on the other side. I mean, I'm just going to ask though, do you have a current 
now what did you switch to another organization or do you do your own thing you know and you know there's all kinds of things you can do but yeah i didn't switch to another organization i um i love religious experiences i we live across, you know, around the corner from a Catholic church and I went to midnight mass and I go to the Unitarian, you know, church for because I love their choir. And I am not particularly drawn to another organization, but I yeah. certainly don't rule it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's another thing. It's like, Oh, almost when I left, I'm like, Oh, do I have to find something else right away? Because oh, I kind of miss the community and do I need to find another community? But then you're so worried about getting in the wrong community. I have all the thoughts about yeah. community. Yeah. And, and for right now, I just love having my Sunday completely free. Isn't that nice? It's amazing. <laughs> I enjoy it also. I'm like, I can do whatever I want on Sunday. <laughs> like, isn't it a good, like you day, like self-care or have fun or spend family time? Like, yeah, that is exactly what we do. I feel like, you know, we used to do chores and take care of stuff and fix stuff around the house and clean on Saturdays. Cause that was really the only day. And then Sunday we would spend most, you know, three hours at church and, and various other hours doing, it was not yeah. unheard of to spend four or five, six hours on a Sunday doing church things. And then you have a few hours, you know, left over at night and then you it's Monday. And now Sunday's just a really fun day. I get it. I love it. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for sharing the story. Cause I hope this helps somebody. I just think it's nice to hear like people's journey through the heart. Cause there is hard stuff. Right. And I mean, I can relate so much to many things that you said. So thank you for sharing with us. Now, where could people find out about the work you do? Because well, tell us what what you do first. So (laughs) I am a coach for women who want to learn to stop people pleasing. Oh, that's a good topic. (laughs) It's a fantastic topic. And, (laughs) you know, I I'm sure, you know, you and your listeners can see the connection between being raised in a, in a high demand religion that is really based on patriarchy yeah, and how that would teach women. Your job is to be nice, be accommodating, serve other people. You come last, you get to rest when everything else is done. And so the way that I, my, my work is very autobiographical, right? I had to learn to undo and to recognize where I, where, where people pleasing was actually stopping my growth And so um, that's the work I do with women. Now I show them where their people pleasing is stopping their growth and where they can really settle into trusting themselves and trusting what they know is right and good for their own lives. I have a group coaching program where we do that work together for 16 weeks and it's magical and amazing. And I, you can learn about that on my website, sarahfisk.coach. Okay, I'll put the seraphist.coach in the show notes so that people can go there. So thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us tonight. You're welcome. Thanks, Rebecca. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please go subscribe so that you get notified of all the future goodies that are coming along. While you're there, please leave me a review and let me know what you think. So excited to share this with you and can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye.